You're listening to Comedy Central. Joe Biden will be sworn in as the 46th president of what's left of the United States. Although, judging from the preparations, perhaps united isn't the right word for the country. Tonight, extraordinary security in the nation's capital. Officials taking no chances. Military reinforcements arriving by the plane load. National Guard troops coming from every corner of the U.S. On every street, more fencing, more police, more troops. Fencing with razor wire, barricades and checkpoints everywhere, restrictions on drones, helicopters patrolling the skies, and police boats scouring the Potomac River. More than 25,000 National Guard troops in the nation's capital, many already there and sleeping on cots. Biden planned to take the train from his home in Delaware to D.C., but that trip has been canceled due to security concerns about his arrival at Union Station just blocks from the Capitol. Oh, man. Poor Joe Biden. He loves trains, but security is so tight that they won't let him ride one. And it makes sense. Trains are the worst way to get your new president to his inauguration. Because forget terrorists. Biden could get hurt just from a guy trying to carry boiling coffee down the aisle. Also, it's so easy to plan a train attack. Because a train can't change course. We all know where it's going. There's a track. If a train leaves Delaware for DC at 9 a.m. and it travels at 80 miles an hour, well, we know it's gonna get to DC. It'll get there. And this just shows you how divided America is right now. It's even having trouble transitioning power from an old white guy to an old white guy. Security wasn't even this tight when the president was about to be black. With Trump finally gone, it was time for President Biden to get the key from under the mat and settle into the house that they'd spent all day getting ready for him. Right now, the White House resident staff are going around the White House and boxing up anything that the Trump family may have left behind. Trump officials insist that the place is going to be sanitized with particular care and COVID-19 in mind. Part of what is gonna be moved in and different in the White House residence is that the Bidens will, I hear, share a bedroom. The Trumps, of course, had separate bedrooms. So this will be switched, all the mattresses will be refreshed. We're so used to seeing the new president uh, walk up the steps under the North Portico into the White House to be greeted by the outgoing president of the United States. And there you saw Joe Biden and the first lady not greeted by anybody uh, outside the front door of the White House. In fact, the previous president had skipped town before the inauguration. So Biden uh, left there to sort of be a self-greeter in many ways and let himself into the White House, (laughs) into the front door. Yeah, Trump wasn't there to greet Biden at the White House, which is a snub. But on the other hand, I'm not sure that Trump needs to be there now because How would that conversation even go? You know what, I actually used to work here, so you don't need to show me where the situation room is. The situation room? Now, I know it's inauguration day and everyone wants to throw a party, but remember, it's also Wednesday, which means it's still a work day. And so after he got back to the White House, President Joseph Robinette Biden went straight to work. And let's just say the White House bathrooms aren't the only place Biden is looking to wipe out any trace of Donald Trump. Just hours after being sworn in, President Joe Biden is already putting the pen to a number of executive orders. This is common practice as presidents enter office. Biden expected to sign roughly a dozen executive orders, undoing some of Donald Trump's most controversial moves. He will immediately rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, reportedly cancel the Keystone Pipeline, and will reverse the so-called Muslim travel ban and take the first step in his fight against COVID, mandating masks on federal lands and extending the pause of student loan payments. 
Wow. That is a huge reversal of Trump's legacy, rejoining the Paris Accords, canceling the Keystone Pipeline, and even repealing the infamous Muslim ban. Although with America's COVID rates right now, I don't actually think that last one is gonna make much of a difference. Come on over, Muslim countries. Come on to America. Actually, we have Zoom now, so <laughs> you guys kind of keep your coughing. Now, this is really good news, and I'm glad that America is rejoining the Paris Accord. But you gotta admit, this back and forth, this must be so weird for other countries. Because under Obama, America celebrated the Paris Accords. But then under Trump, it was like, Accords, let the planet burn! And then now under Biden, it's like, all right, guys, I'm, <laughs> I'm back in the Paris Accords. Sorry, yeah, and I'm also back on my meds. <laughs> Sorry about that. So my friends, Donald, Jesus Christ, that was crazy. Trump has officially departed the White House for the last time. And I know, I know that many people are angry right now at the state that he left this country in, but I implore you to try and look at the few silver linings. One, America survived Trump, and in doing so, displayed its resilience. And two, Trump's term has truly exposed so many of the flaws in America's system. And I know for some, day one of Joe Biden's presidency may be too soon to think about fixing America's problems, but you need to start fixing them now. Because before you know it, 2024 will be here, and Donald Trump might be back in some form. Joe Biden's inauguration did not look like a typical one, partly because of the pandemic, partly because the National Guard was protecting him from the previous president. But what does a typical inauguration day look like? Well, actually, there really isn't one. To find out why, it's time for another episode of If You Don't Know, Now You Know. The first thing to understand about Inauguration Day is that there's no reason it has to be a full day. There's only one thing that really has to happen, and it takes about two minutes, as long as nothing goes wrong. There are speeches, parades, and balls. But according to the U.S. Constitution, the only requirement is for the president to take the oath. An entire government hands over a baton to the next government. It does not happen until the words of the oath are uttered. And the words matter. You have to say the words correctly. Barack Obama had to take the oath of office twice in 2009. That's because Chief Justice John Roberts misspoke, and one word was out of sequence. That I will execute the office of president to the United States faithfully. That I will execute the off, faithfully, the, pres, the office of president of the, the United States. The office of president of the United States faithfully. Immediately, people called it a botched oath. Some people even questioned, is President Obama a real president? Oh, man. Did you see Obama's face? He was so pissed. And I would be too. Imagine spending two years campaigning all over the country, and then the guy giving you the oath is like, do you swear to uphold the Constitution? I mean, the Constitution? Whoops, <laughs> oh man. Well, sorry, let's try it again in four years. You can see Obama's eyes. You can see in his eyes, he's thinking, oh, really, asshole? I didn't move all the way from Kenya to have you screw this up now. And honestly, I kind of agree. I mean, damn, I know it's an oath, but you're not allowed to say one word wrong. You're becoming a president, not summoning a dragon. I bet Trump didn't know about this one because if he had, he definitely would have gone to Biden's inauguration just so he could mess things up. 
I, Joseph R. Biden, fart, do solemnly fart, fart, swear to fart, fart, fart. Come on, man. Now, because the oath is required, it's the same for every president. But the inaugural speech is where each individual president gets to tell you who they are. Presidents use their inaugural addresses to try and set the tone and lay out the themes for the next four years. It's a great opportunity to make a great speech and encapsulate his vision in a few telling lines. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The shortest inaugural speech, a mere 135 words, was delivered by George Washington at his second swearing-in. The longest, William Henry Harrison's, which ran on for two hours on a cold March day. Harrison died of pneumonia 31 days later. Now, Harrison didn't get pneumonia because he gave a speech in the cold three weeks earlier, but it was still a huge mistake because he was only president for 31 days and he wasted the first two hours. I mean, he could have been like, no speech, I gotta enjoy this while it lasts, and then went and spent the whole day just running around the White House in his underwear. Because with a two-hour speech, you know he had a ton of plans. And then in year two, we're gonna fix the railways and add some more states. And then year three, oh boy, year three is gonna be my favorite year yet. But you know what surprises me is George Washington. 135 words is not the length of a presidential speech. That's more like a college student that forgot that he had an essay due that day. I mean, on the other hand, 135 words is a lot when you have wooden teeth. Ladies and gentlemen, I should... Ah, shit, a splinter. All right, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. Now, once the speech is out of the way, the fun parts of Inauguration Day begin. The balls, the concerts, the parades. It's basically my super sweet 16 for men in their 70s. But like any big party, there's always the chance that something will go horribly wrong. Inaugurations follow a very prescribed order. And while most inaugurations have been conducted with decorum, some have had their mishaps. Vice President Andrew Johnson had too much to drink the night before Abraham Lincoln's second inauguration. Johnson delivered a speech the next day, still drunk, embarrassing the president. An electrical short caused John F. Kennedy's podium to catch fire as Cardinal Richard Cushing gave the invocation at his inauguration. In 1873, Ulysses S. Grant was being inaugurated and it was very cold. So what happened is that the champagne turned into slushies and they had all these canaries brought in to sing as background noise and they all froze to death. Andrew Jackson's 1829 bash was the rowdiest. 20,000 Jackson supporters stormed the White House, pulling down the curtains, walking on the furniture, causing massive damage. The new president reportedly escaped the crush through a window. God damn, people think Trump caused chaos. Imagine if his presidency started with a riot. But hey man, say what you want about Andrew Jackson, that dude could throw a party. I mean, you know a party is hardcore when the host is like, if I don't get out of here, I'm gonna die. It's funny because we think of all these historical figures as being so proper and respectable, but damn, those parties were baller. I mean, I've been to some crazy parties, but I've never been to a party that got frozen canary crazy. Although I think frozen canaries on the floor can really kill the mood at any party. Hey, what's up, girl? I couldn't help but notice you standing here by yourself and I just, oh God. Shit, I just stepped up. Oh, I stepped up. Oh, man. I, oh, no. I felt its bones. <laughs> so you got a man or what? Now, a lot of the talk this year is about how President Trump broke tradition 
by refusing to show up for Joe Biden's big day, which clearly was a sign of respect. I mean, if there's one thing Donald Trump would never want to do is draw attention to himself at somebody else's party. But the truth is that 2021 isn't the first inauguration day to feature tension between the new president and the outgoing one. Since Martin Van Buren and Andrew Jackson traveled by carriage in 1837, it's become tradition for the president to escort the president-elect from the White House to the Capitol for the swearing-in ceremony. Historically, some transitions have been, well, ugly. Ulysses S. Grant declined to give Andrew Johnson the ride to the Capitol, and so Johnson declined to attend the inauguration. 1953, Dwight Eisenhower rolled up at the White House to pick up Harry Truman. The Truman were inside with coffee ready. Someone came in and said to Truman, Eisenhower won't get out of his car. He won't come in and have coffee with you. At the 1933 inauguration of FDR, Hoover wouldn't look at or even speak to Roosevelt on the car ride over to the swearing in. Ooh, that looks so awkward. Hoover was acting like he was in an Uber pool. Look, man, I'm just trying to save three bucks. I'm not here to make a friend. And to be honest, I actually understand where they're coming from. Because look, I get that it's important to concede when you lose, but it does feel a little bit like it's rubbing it in to make you give the guy who beat you a ride to the inauguration. That never happens in any other situation. When you get divorced, you're not expected to drive your ex to their next wedding. So I can see why some presidents get a little petty. And honestly, I think they could have done worse. I mean, if Trump wanted to be really petty, he wouldn't have skipped town. He would have offered to drive Biden and then show up on a motorcycle. Sorry, Biden, you got a right bitch, bitch. So that's the big public events of Inauguration Day. But there is one final tradition that takes place in private. When the new president sits down in the Oval Office for the first time and finds a special note on their desk. There is a tradition uh, where the president leaves a letter for the incoming president, and he leaves it in the desk, and it is that private connection between the two of them who are now both officially in what is known as the President's Club. That's another very new tradition, goes back to Ronald Reagan, who left a letter for his vice president, George H.W. Bush, that said at the top, don't let the turkeys get you down. After George H.W. Bush lost his re-election fight to Bill Clinton, the sitting president penned a letter to his opponent saying in part, your success now is our country's success. I'm rooting hard for you. That letter former President Obama left for President Trump. In part, President Obama wrote, we are just temporary occupants of this office. That makes us guardians of those democratic institutions and traditions like rule of law, separation of powers, equal protection and civil liberties that our forebears fought and bled for. (laughs) Wow, guys, Trump really changed the game on everything because before him, All the presidents would leave little encouraging notes, you know? You got this, champ. All of America's rooting for you. But Obama's letter to Trump was trying to teach Trump about America. Okay, real quick. Uh, There's a thing called democracy. Uh, You've got the rule of law. But this is actually one tradition that Donald Trump did continue. And in fact, we actually got our hands on Trump's actual outgoing letter to Joe Biden from our White House insiders. Oh, man. I'm gonna miss that guy. So there you have it, the American presidential inauguration. Sometimes it's messy, sometimes it's awkward, but even after a month like this one, it always happens. And if you don't know, now you know. The inauguration of Joseph Robin Hood Biden. 
Yesterday, after being sworn in on the book that knows when we're all gonna die, Biden became the 46th president of the United States. But he can't run the whole country himself. So immediately after being sworn in, he turned around and administered the oath of office to his new White House staff. And hopefully, all 4,000 people on the Zoom were paying attention. For new members of the Biden administration, a virtual swearing in. And we have to restore the soul of this country, and I'm counting on all of you to be part of that. And a stern warning from the new commander-in-chief. If you're ever working with me and I hear you treat another colleague with disrespect, talk down to someone, I promise you I will fire you on the spot. On the spot. No ifs, ands, or buts. Okay. Wow. That took a turn. Uh, welcome to a new era of kindness and respect. And if you're not on board with that, I'll rip your nipples off. But insisting on respect is just one of the ways that President Biden is trying to make a clean break from his predecessor. In fact, he even redecorated his office to be as untrumpy as possible. We're getting new details right now about the uh, inside of President Biden's Oval Office. Uh, a bust of Cesar Chavez, for example, sitting behind the Resolute Desk, along with statues of Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert F. Kennedy. It is Joe Biden's stamp on the Oval Office, but some of it is familiar. If you see those gold drapes, you see the blue carpet on the floor, uh, those were in the Oval Office during the Bill Clinton presidency. The decor is certainly different than it was under President Trump. Okay, first question. Is it really an improvement to switch out Trump's carpet for Bill Clinton's? I mean, on Trump's carpet, yes, you can catch COVID, but on Clinton's, you could get pregnant. And look, I respect history, but at some point, it starts getting suspicious. This desk was used by President Roosevelt. Wow. And these chairs were sat on by President Kennedy. Wow. And these drapes were hung by President Monroe. Dude, are, are you broke? Is, is that what's going on here? But I do think it's cool that no matter what other changes a president makes, the bust of Martin Luther King Jr. stays behind because no one wants to be the guy who removes the bust of MLK. Once it enters the room, it's there for good. If a tornado hit the Oval Office, it would still go around MLK. <laughs> I'm not racist, I'm not racist. <laughs> now, of course, redecorating the Oval Office is just a symbolic change. But even after one day, people are already noticing how different Biden's presidency will be from Donald J. Trump's. You just got President Biden's schedule for tomorrow, his first full day in office as, as president. Uh, I imagine it's a little bit busier than what we've been reading is the former president's schedule. And this is a return to normalcy. Also a return to functioning government. The White House press office is now actually sending out press releases that are informative. So instead of having the Trump administration say, Trump is making many calls, the Biden team's actually revealing the calls. That's a good sign, that's progress. President Biden is now unveiling a national strategy to tackle COVID. First of all, I, I just have to say that it's great that we have somebody that comes out and actually has a plan. Today felt like a new day. I mean, the press briefing was boring as hell, and that was refreshing. How we didn't have to count how many lies Jen Psaki was telling. <laughs> we didn't have to get up there and hear her talking about the largest crowd size and yelling at the media. Yo, guys, Joe Biden is so lucky. All he has to do is have a vaccine plan and not lie for 10 minutes, and he's basically what, the next George Washington? And we all know this is only thanks to Donald Trump for setting the bar so low. It's like getting hired as a babysitter and your predecessor was a Roomba covered in knives, you're gonna be better. And there's a useful life lesson here for all of us. 
always follow the worst possible person. Like if you want to date someone, wait until after they've broken up with Army Hammer. Baby, I promise I will never eat your flesh. What a gentleman. In fact, people are so excited to be moving on from Trump that some at Biden's inauguration celebration were already pretending that Trump never existed at all. Appearances by three former presidents, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, and Barack Obama, but not President Trump. Well, I think uh, the fact that the three of us are standing here talking about a peaceful transfer of power speaks to the uh, institutional integrity of our country. We've got to not just listen to folks we agree with, but listen to folks we don't. You think about the three presidents, the three former presidents that we saw gathered together to to speak about this moment in history, to speak about uh, the new president. The former president who just left office could have been among those three. It could have been four. Mm-hmm. And forevermore now, one considers when there are gatherings of all the presidents, will the most recent president uh, who just left, will he be no. in there? All right, is it just me? Or was Anderson Cooper working overtime to avoid saying the word Trump? Dude, you can't summon him by saying his name, right? The guy's an ex-president, not Beetlejuice. Just say it, Trump. But I will say this. I'm not surprised, and nobody should be surprised that Trump doesn't want to be a part of the former President's Club. It's kind of like when Don Felder left the Eagles because he was jealous of Glenn Fry and Don Henley's success. Okay, I'm gonna be honest, guys. I don't actually know what anything in that joke means. I'm just trying to win over some of these white people who don't have a leader anymore, so, uh, yeah. Honestly speaking, I think Trump not being included in this club is for the best. Because what are these guys gonna talk about? Uh, You know, everybody can agree, uh, being a president is one of the hardest jobs in the world. Am I right? Tell me about it, dude. Sometimes I would have to work 12 hours a month. It was excruciating. And while I understand that people wanna pretend Trump didn't exist, the truth is he did. Not only did he exist, but his presidency was historic. Like. You may not realize it because we're living in it, but guys, he sent a mob to ransack the Capitol. People are gonna be talking about this forever. We're living in a history book right now. In like a hundred years, they're gonna be doing musicals about this Trump era. We're gonna march on the Capitol. Not me, I'm going home, but you guys gonna go in all alone and I'm gonna be in my bunk. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.